to take our lives and change us. Not just for the purpose of changing us, so that's good. But that God would work in us so that God can work through us out to other people. And we need to make ourselves available. And when we come to church, we need to constrain him. And just don't be so caught up with everything and talking to everybody. You can do that afterward. But come and and constrain him to be with us so that he would move in our presence. It's so that we would not have, as many out there have, a dead church. No presence of God, no spirit of God moving. And that's, I believe, what he wants. And we'll, we'll be looking at that a little bit later. Okay. Um, come to church today to see. Jesus said, did you go out to see a reed shaking in the wind or or the weed, a weed, a grass blowing in the wind? See, what, what was your attention on when you went out into the wilderness? Why do we come to church? You know, coming to church is a good thing. But it can be tradition. Anything we do can become Tradition. Kids, you can be dismissed. Important to come to church for the right reasons and not allow it to be like sitting at home in front of your TV or to to go somewhere to be entertained. Oh, we come to, you know, just see, you know, what's... No. We are to come for one purpose. And that's to see Jesus. As we sang earlier, that he would be the center. In the book of Revelation, when you look at that, the whole setup for the throne, John sees the Lamb of God moving about in the midst of the throne. John has this vision of Jesus Christ and him in spirit moving around in the midst of the throne. Today I want to talk to you from Ezekiel. And I want to look at the river of God. But before we go there, I want to lay some groundwork and uh, look at some things that are in the context before that. Because many times in the Bible when you read certain things, the setting for the scripture is important. There is much to be learned and seen and much to be uh, brought to you spiritually by seeing the setting of a scripture and see what's going on. Now, Ezekiel had visions of God. 
Visions of the glory of God. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 1. Verse 1. Now it came to pass in the the 13th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Shabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. See, see Ezekiel, like John, he, he's seeing not this over here and that, all these other things. He's not seeing the activities that are going on. He said, I had visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel in the, the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Shabar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. The Lord is going to teach him that the hand of the Lord is upon him. The presence of God is there upon him to, to show and reveal something to him related to God himself. Now, the setting in the book of Ezekiel was the Babylonian captivity. And you know that they were, they were taken away as it was prophesied in Leviticus, they were taken away into the land of Babylon, and they were in the land of Babylon 70 years. Just think about that. You could have been born in Babylon, and you could have been a person who died in Babylon, never seeing the promised land, the land that God had prepared for his people, the land that they were in before. In verse 28, and I'm going to read this from two translations. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, Let me read this from the NIV. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell down and I heard a voice once speaking. I fell down on my face because of the presence of the Lord that I saw. Very powerful God's presence can be. Now, during the Babylonian captivity, Ezekiel has visions of God, and he has this vision of the temple of God. And I want to show you some things related to this vision of the temple of God. That as I was looking at them, and as I was reading them, I was saying, Lord, how much this applies to us today. 
Sometimes we look at the stories and we see and read these things and we don't see how the Spirit of God can take them and apply them to us in this day and age. You know, you talk to some people in the world and they think the Bible's out of date. They think it's just old-fashioned. It's not, you know, there's nothing there that really relates to today. It is more pertinent than any other book of our age. More pertinent than anything that science and technology comes up with. Chapter 46. Let's go to chapter 46 for a minute. Now, in chapter 46, God gives the Israelites directions related to worship. Now, the directions that he gives them directly relate to the sacrifices, the Levitical sacrifices that we have studied before, because that was the basis or the starting point for them to, to be ushered in, so to speak, or to move toward the Lord in worship. They had to go through certain things first. They had to be obedient in those things. And that the Lord sees, and that will help them now to move out from where they were toward the Lord, and eventually... Move into worship. Now, these directions that he gives are what I I believe, or I will say, is the approach unto God. The Lord has a set approach for them when it comes to him. So you have the throne of the Lord, so to speak, in Revelation Not just anyone approaches that throne. In the setting here in Ezekiel, there was an approach by which the people and the priests had to move toward God. They're never going to be, so to speak, in his presence if the approach is not correct. Now, remember Nadab and Abihu, they thought they could approach God in their own way and in their own thinking, in their own reasoning, the way that they thought. Oh, I think that I just go to church and I'll raise my hands and I will approach unto God. You know, just sing the songs, you know. Raise your hands and how spiritual you look. And right away, you're, you're in his presence. You're, in, you're, you're moving in worship. There is an approach, my people, that God has laid forth. There is preparation that must occur within. Now, to start back, Jesus said, I am the way. So that no man comes to the Father, Jesus said, but by me. So if you have the unbeliever, they cannot approach God. Because they have not come the way of Jesus Christ. 
But you as a Christian, you have made that initial step. Jesus is the way. And you can approach God. You have that available to you today because Jesus Christ has paid the price for us. Now, there is something that, that, that Jim said earlier. There's a scripture in Matthew. It says, take my yoke upon you. Or take my will upon you. It's another, another way to say that. It's the same thing. God's will is his yoke. And you need to take his will upon you and learn of him. That is going to be foundational in approaching him. There, when it says, take my yoke, or when you, when you see it in the New Testament, where it talks about the will of God. I'll break that down into two general areas. The general will of God, which would be, uh, for, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. So we know in the scriptures when we read them that certain things are the will of God. Our sanctification. You don't need to pray about it. God's revealed that. It's his will for us. You don't have to say, Lord, should I lie or shouldn't I lie? We know that that is his will that we wouldn't do that. So there are things in the Bible that are the, the general will of God, the renewing of the mind, believing on Jesus Christ. See, many things like that are the general will of God for us. And we, we need to just get in them and move in them, just like the, the priest. The Levitical law was there, and that was the will of God for them. There were certain things they had to do, and they had to follow that. So you have the general will of God, and then you have the specific will of God. And what I mean by that is that God now will come and he will specifically show you, communicate to you somehow, some way. He will, he will enlighten you and show you what his will is for you daily or you know, this year or whatever. An example in the scriptures would be Jonah. Now, Jonah, he kept the law. That was the general will of God. He didn't have to pray about that. He did it. But when God comes to him specifically, and he says, Jonah, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, and said, Arise and go to Nineveh. Well, now... You're dealing with the specific or the, or the personal will of God for Jonah in his life right then. So now there's the choice with Jonah. God is laying out, so to speak, through this, his will, whether you can approach to him or not, Jonah. So as Jonah rises up, it says... And he goes to Tarshish. What he does there is he, he does not move forward toward God by going and preaching in the, in, to Nineveh. 
Instead, the approach that God had set, he goes in another direction. Now, realize, he is still the prophet Jonah. But because of where he has gone, he cannot approach unto God as God so desires him to do. He can't. In Romans chapter 12, hold your place in Ezekiel. We're coming back. Romans 12. Verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Well, okay, I believe that, that I should present my, my body as a living sacrifice. It's the word of God. But you realize that in that verse, he is not specific. He does not tell you how to present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, that will come by your walking uh, in the Spirit, you're walking with God, and He's going to show you how to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And it isn't by going to work, fellas, necessarily. I remember when I went to the mission field, and I went to Guatemala, and I'll tell you this. It was the last place in the world I really wanted to go. I had no desire to leave the country at all. But as the Spirit of God is such, and he was, was dealing with me to go, and I thought, well, you know, I know the scriptures. Now I know what he's dealing with me to do here now. This becomes not the general will of God, but the specific will of God for me for that time. I said, Lord, okay, I'll go. I didn't know what I, what I was going to have to deal with. But you know what happens? We look at the difficulty, what may come, how we may have to suffer a little, and what we do is we draw back and we can make excuses and we do not move and approach the Lord in the path and direction he has set for us. And when we don't do that, we miss the blessing of God. Jonah missed the blessing of God. I remember we were in... Costaltenango, that's the other side of Guatemala. And, and it's, certain areas there were ele elevated, and it was pretty cool in the morning. And we got up in the morning, and, you know, you take your shower, bath, whatever you want to call it. And me, I don't really care for cold water. That's all they have. The people go out there and you, you get a this big barrel of water and you dip it and you just pour it. That's it. So you're getting your bath. And after about three or four days of that, it's like, whew. I mean, you think that these tropical places are all hot. Well, they are, but some places aren't so hot. 
And I mean, temperature-wise. <laughs> and I got up in the morning and said, you know, whatever, Lord. You know, you called me to come here. And this was the person the will of God for me. I'm going to move forward in it. And went over one morning, got up, went over to the Pila. That's where they have the water. And the pastor, the, we were staying with the pastor, his family, in a, in a room. And the pastor's wife got up early in the morning. So we were up about <clears throat> seven. She got up early in the morning. Now, this is not going to, to mean to you what it meant to me. Because you, you have to... You know, you have to be there. And she built a little fire, and she put a pot on the fire, a pot of water. And when I got up to take my bath, my shower, she says, here, here's hot water for you. I said, praise the Lord. The blessing of God is experienced in the approach to him. As you get in that place, okay, Lord, I'll go. Some of you, if we said, okay, the Lord wants you to go to Guatemala or to some other, you would say, no, Lord, not me. But what you say when you say that is, Lord, I do not want to experience these blessings that I know nothing about. And believe me, there are blessings that we know nothing about. And if I had time, I could share many, many other stories with you. How the Lord came and, and blessed me on the mission field it was just amazing. Same thing in Peru when I went, how the Lord, you know, really blessed me. I wasn't looking for a blessing, but, you know, that's God. A blessing never experienced if I would have stayed here. Well, present your body's living sacrifice. Well, that can mean many different things. It will mean something personal to you. Wholly acceptable unto God, praise the Lord, which is your reasonable worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, there is a proving or a testing of the will of God. Not testing to see if, <laughs> but when you're there, God will open things up in this testing of the will of God. Hebrews, and you don't have to turn her, Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. There's another way of saying this in another translation. Let us therefore with boldness approach God who shows grace. Let's go back to Ezekiel. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 44 through 46, God lays out the rules uh, related to worship, or you can say the rules related to approaching God. It's the same thing. 
He sets out certain things there. But not everybody can enter into the sanctuary of the Lord and worship. Do you know that? Not everybody can do that. Ezekiel 44, verse 7. In that ye have brought into my sanctuary strangers, uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh, to be in my sanctuary, to pollute it, even my house, when ye offer my bread and the fat and the blood, and they have broken my commandment because of all your abominations. He's speaking about the priests here. These were unfaithful priests. And God said they have polluted the sanctuary and they have caused abomination. But the Zadok priests or the Zadok priesthood, they are the ones here that are mentioned that can approach unto God. Now that's in verse 15. Now, the, the, before we read that, the Zadok priesthood, remember Aaron had four sons. Nadab and Abihu were killed. He had two other sons, Eleazar and Ithamar. Both lines of those priests went down through Israel. Eli, who God took the priesthood from, uh, because of his sons, he didn't restrain his sons, he was of the line of Ithamar. Whereas Eliezer's line comes down, and in this time through Zadok, and the Zadok priesthood was from the line of Eliezer, who were the godly priests, the righteous priests. They were holy. They, they, they followed the Lord uh, and his, and his um, you know, the, the things he had set up for the priesthood to the T. They did what they had to do. Verse 15. But the priests, the Levites, the son of Zadok, that kept the charge of my sanctuary, when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me and minister unto me, and they shall stand before me to offer unto me the fat and the blood, saith the Lord God. They shall enter into my sanctuary, and they shall come near to my table to minister unto me, and they shall keep, and they shall keep my charge. So they were the ones who kept the charge uh, or the requirements. They fulfilled all the requirements uh, of the Lord in their priesthood. So God says they are the ones that can enter into my sanctuary. Now, whenever they come back, I think it's from the captivity, in, uh, in the book of Ezra, it gives a, a detailed account of all the people that come back. There were, it was less than 400 priests that came back. Um, and, and of them... There were 70-some, only 70-some, that the Lord 
used in the menial tasks of, of the, of the uh, sanctuary, the tabernacle. They would do the killing and the washing on the outer court and that. But none of them, none of them, because they were unfaithful, approached unto God. Only those that were of the Zadok line approached unto God. So not everyone can approach. See, faithfulness matters. It mattered back then, and faithfulness matters with us today. Some Christians think that they, they could be unfaithful and do whatever they want, or they could be faithful for a while and then do this over here and be unfaithful and then be faithful, and it doesn't matter. I'm telling you today, it matters big time. If you are unfaithful to God, your approach to God is limited at best. You are not going to penetrate into a spiritual area in God that he desires. Now in Ezekiel 45, when coming to God in worship, Preparation is necessary. That's what's seen here. I'm going to show it to you in a minute. <clears throat> the word prepare is used eight times in Ezekiel 45. Prepare, prepare. You see it there. In chapter 46, verse 13, Thou shalt daily prepare. You Need to prepare daily is another way to say that. We think that we can get up in the morning and run to church and we're just going to enter into worship. Do you know that many times the song service, sometimes it's an hour long and it takes an hour to prepare the hearts of people to worship God. There was a song the Lord gave me this morning up here, and, and we couldn't sing it because we, we didn't come up far enough. We cannot walk as we, we want to walk during the week and think that we're going to come to church prepared. See, the preparation in the heart occurs throughout the week. And this morning, did you get up? And just run out and run to church? Or did you get up a little bit and spend a little bit of time with the Lord? In whatever way, reading, praying, whatever. Saying, Lord, prepare my heart. I want to meet with you today. I want to constrain you. When I come to church, I want your presence there. See, not, not everybody in, in the churches out there desire God. Not everybody wants to be drawn to God, and not everybody wants to prepare themselves to be in the presence of God. The high priest had to prepare himself when he went into the, the Holy of Holies. If he didn't prepare himself, God, because of his holiness, would strike him dead. Wow. We want to take things of the Old Testament 
And see how they apply to us? There is a preparation that God desires. In Ezekiel 38, verse 7, Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself. Be prepared and prepare yourself. The word prepare there means to be firmly established. And Peter says in in his um, epistle, be established in the present truth. So that as the truth of God comes to you when, when you are alone in the word or however. Or as the truth of God maybe comes to you today and applies to you. You are to be established in that present truth. Which means that you need to take that, whatever it may be, and bring that into your heart and say, yes, Lord, okay. And you go along with the program, so to speak, that God's laying forth. And you become established in the present truth. That is how you will prepare yourself to come here to worship God. Or in your private time to truly worship God. I personally believe that very few Christians really move into worship. But we don't move into worship all the time. Now, we praise the Lord. But moving into worship, there's a preparation there most of the time. I mean, God can, you know, he does what he wants many times, you know, with that. But most of the time, there, there has to be a preparation of the heart. Because if there isn't, we will not relate to God when he comes to us. We won't relate to him properly. So one of the things that Zadok's Zadok priests did in preparation is that they did not eat anything that died of itself. Now look in chapter 44. Verse 31. The priest shall not eat of anything that is dead. Or I guess another way to say that is that the priest, the Zadok, Zadok priest, would only eat of that which God has given. Or to put it in uh, the New Testament way of saying it, that you eat only the living bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Well, you need to eat and feed upon the living bread. Because the living bread is that which will help you to bring life to others, to feed others. Now, with the Zadok priest, they were obedient. They were prepared. And they were faithful. Another way to say it is this, I believe that they wanted more of God. They were the priesthood that were faithful in the service of God, 
who prepared their hearts to serve God, and they were the ones that had this in their heart, Lord, I want you, I want more of you. I believe that God wants to raise up Zadok priests today. He wants you and I to be Zadok priests, that we desire more of God. Now, in Hosea, this scripture here, Hosea chapter 4, speaks of our land here today, the United States. In chapter 4, verse 1, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth nor mercy. And this is what I want you to see. That there is no knowledge of God in the land. The people in our country for the most part, are not interested in knowing God and in the knowledge of God. And I'll take that one step further and say that there are some Christians that they want to go through the motions, they want to go to church, they want to do these different things, but there is no desire for the knowledge of God or very little desire for the knowledge of God, or there is very little desire for more of God in their life. And God looks down. He says, there's no knowledge of me in the land. I have a controversy against you because there's no knowledge, there's no desire to know him in a fuller way. John 17 when I, when I was down in uh, Peru, the Lord, Lord, this is funny. When I was in Guatemala, the, the one fellow, a good friend of mine, he's an evangelist. He tra- traveled all over the country. And he came up to me and he said, what is the Lord wanting you to do as far as the mission field? And there I am in Guatemala. He's asking me this question. And what he was saying is, are you going to come back to Guatemala? And this was in 1998. And I I told him, well, I I feel the Lord is putting in my heart this desire to go to Peru. I'd never gone to Peru. I'd have a desire to go to Peru. And here I am telling this guy I'm going to go to Peru. When I went to Peru... I was doing a seminar for pastors, and I asked them this question. I said, what is, what's eternal life mean? I mean, we have eternal life, right? Do we not? You can shake your heads. You don't have to answer. Shake your heads. You have eternal life? There we go. Like the little doggies in the back of the, what do they call them, bobbin heads? There we go. I asked these pastors, I said, what's it mean to have eternal life? And I got different answers. 
I said, what does the Bible say? What did Jesus say was eternal life? Now look in 17, verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee. Now remember here, the context of this is Jesus is praying, and he says here, I'm not praying for the world. I'm not praying for, you know, unbelievers. I am praying for those of you who are here, my disciples, and those who will follow later, meaning throughout the ages, down to us here today. And he says this, he's not saying they weren't saved. They, the apostles, were saved. You know that. Now, why would Jesus say such a thing? This is life eternal, that they might know me. See, there is more than initial salvation. There is more that God has for you today than you have. You don't have to turn here. I'm going to go to Ephesians. Let me read a couple of scriptures. Ephesians 1.17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that we would have that. Paul is praying for Christians that you would have the knowledge of God, more than you have today. And not just Bible knowledge. I'm talking about a knowledge of Him. Colossians. You don't have to turn there. Colossians 1.10. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And how you increase in the knowledge of God is as you move forward in approaching him in what he has showed you is his will. You will increase in the knowledge of God. And Peter says this, in 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now turn to Exodus. I want to show you this scripture. Now, would you say that Moses knew the Lord? I would say Moses knew the Lord quite well. 33. Exodus 33. Verse 13. Now, therefore, I pray. This is Moses speaking. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee. Moses had that desire in him to know God more, to move out from where he was spiritually, and to to move into a deeper place. And I believe that desire in the heart of Moses 
is what went down through Eliezer and down to the Zadok priesthood, that desire to know, to know God more. And remember, that desire must be fed. Or it'll, desire, uh, it'll die. That, that desire will die. You can see Christians sometimes that, that served the Lord for, for, for years maybe. And, and they had a relationship with the Lord. They were very close. And then they step forward and all of a sudden, you know, something happens and that desire is dead. They may go to church, but that desire for more of God in them is not alive. Hosea 6 6 says this For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So you know that God set up the offerings in Leviticus and, and throughout. Uh, Isaiah's time is in throughout you know Israel's time when they when they had the tabernacle, and he comes and he says here that he desires the knowledge of God of knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Now turn to one John. Then we're going to go back to Ezekiel. In the epistle of John. The first epistle. The word no is used 27 times. It's only five chapters long. Chapter 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. John, you walked with Jesus... You talked with Jesus. You spent all this time now after Jesus has has died and arose. Probably 50 years. Walking with the Lord. And he says that we may know him. And the verb there is in the subjunctive mood, which means it's possible to know him more. Go back to Ezekiel. Chapter 47. Let's read some verses here. So God laid these things out, the preparation, the approach, all in these chapters prior to 47. God wanted the Zadok priests to be right. They were the ones that were going to approach him. God wanted things, when they went went back into the land, he wanted things right in the heart of the priests, and he wanted things right in the heart of the people. Now Ezekiel continues on, and he sees this vision now from the temple. Afterward, he brought me again unto the door of the house, and behold... Waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward, for the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. So he sees this vision of the door of the house, or the gate of the house, however you want to say that, house of the Lord. 
and he sees water coming up from underneath the threshold of the door, and he sees it starting to move. And I'll say that here he is over here looking, and he sees this starting to move here past him, this water. Then brought me, me, he me out of the way of the gate northward, and led me about the way without un, unto the other gate, the other gate, by the way that looketh eastward, and behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me uh, through the waters. Now, here's the picture. The picture here is that there's this man with this measuring stick in his hand. And he measures from the threshold a thousand cubits, which would be about, in our measurement, about 550 yards from the temple door. He measures it out. And now what's going to happen is a common thing that happened in those days and happens today called fording. Now Ezekiel is going to ford the river, which means he's going to walk, he's 550 yards, now he's going to walk in the waters that he sees here. And he goes on in verse 3, and he brought me through the waters, and the waters were to the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand, so he takes this measuring stick, and he goes another, you know, 500 yards isn't that far. I mean, if you're um, in a flat area and you look 500, 500 yards isn't that far. Five football fields, not too far. He measures five more. Whereas it says here, he measured a thousand. And he brought me through the waters, and the waters were to the knees. Now, for, for this water to raise that far... In that small amount of time is saying quite a bit. There's quite a bit of water that's flowing here. And this is not a, a, a small thing. It's wide. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through. The waters were to the loins. Now it's, it's waist high. He can still see the doors of the temple. He can still see where the water is issuing off from under the threshold. And now he's fording across, and the waters are up to here. Afterward, he measured a thousand, and it was a river. And I looked up that word river, and that means it was a torrent stream. In other words, a, a, a stream that's torrent is not like the lazy river. You know, where the water's just going like this real slow, you know? Now it's picking up some speed. It was a river that could not, I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. So now he's not, still not too far away, and he sees this mighty torrent 
stream or river that's moving and it's deep and it can't be forded anymore. You can't take an army and walk across it in the shallows. Now there is something else going on. It, it is waters now to swim in. Do you realize, Christian, that there are waters to swim in? Do you realize that the blessing of God in your life, if you walk with him, will start very, very small and will build and build and build in your life until you're swimming? In Deuteronomy 28, it talks about the blessing of God, and it says that if you keep my commandments, that the blessing of God's just not going to be on your life. It's going to overtake you. So it's coming to grab you. Verse 7. Now when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river, there were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Turn to Isaiah. What are these trees? Isaiah 61, familiar portion of scripture. We all know this. We've heard it. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes. This is the reason now. He's, ta he's talking about the reason for the Spirit of, law, of the Lord being upon me, the reason why he has anointed me, the reason why the preaching to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And this is what I want you to see. That they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. The Lord wants the Christian to be a tree of righteousness that is planted along the river of God. So because of how you have ordered your life, he will make you, if you walk with him, a tree of righteousness, and you will be the planting of the Lord. Go back to Ezekiel 47. Now look at this. I want to read this from the Amplified. I brought it here because this is something. Verse 12. And by the river upon the bank thereof, on, on this side and on that side, shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his month, because the waters that issued out of the sanctuary and the fruit thereof shall be meat, and the leaf thereof for medicine. Now let me read that from the Amplified. And on the banks of the river on both sides... There shall grow all kinds of trees for food. You, you know that, that you are to feed others. You are to bear fruit, Jesus said, good fruit, and that fruit will feed other people. 
their leaf, this was interesting, their leaf shall not fade. Not like the trees here that in fall, the, the, the leaves change colors and they fade and, and they drop off. The leaf shall not fade, nor shall their fruit fail. It shall not fail to meet the demand. So other people will come and you will have fruit to feed them. Each tree shall bring forth new fruit, new first fruits every month. I thought that was very interesting. These supernatural qualities being because the waters came from out of the sanctuary. God wants to raise up trees that are planted by the water of God. Verse 8. Then saith he unto me, These waters issued out toward the east country and go down into the desert or the plain. Now, what he's talking about from, from the, uh, the temple eastward, what is there, and we're going to see this in a, in a minute, there was the Dead Sea. This is moving toward the Dead Sea. Now, I want to liken the Dead Sea to humanity today. Humanity today is dead. People here, around here, all around you at work, uh, people on the streets, it's, it's the Dead Sea. They're dead in trespasses and sin. These waters issued out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the water shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whatsoever the river shall come and touch, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish. There's a lot of fish out there for sure. These waters shall come thither, where they shall be healed, and everything shall live whither the river cometh, or wherever the river touches. One of the things, if anybody's ever done any studying as far as the Dead Sea, they don't call it a Dead Sea for no reason. That's because it's dead. There's no, it, it holds no life. If you would go, go to the ocean and take ocean water, Ocean water is full of life. There's plankton and, and all types of things like that, fish, of course we know that, but all, all type of, of microscopic organisms that are alive in ocean water. In the Dead Sea, there is nothing that is living. And that is true of the religious man, and that is true of, of humanity as a whole, that they are as dead to spiritual things and dead to God as the Dead Sea is to life, to fish, whatever. Verse 11, but the miry places, that's speaking about the swamps thereof, and the marshes thereof shall not be healed, they shall be given to salt. So, so there are some that do not want to be touched, and you know this, by the river of God, by the water of life. 
And those who do not want the river to touch them, as it says here, they shall not be healed. But wherever the river goes, and whomever the river touches, and where there is a desire, there will be healing. Everything the river touches shall be healed. Now back in verse 1, you see it says there that the waters issued. That word issued is, of course, in the English, a uh, participle. Participle is an ing verb or an ed verb. Jumping, it's a continual thing. That is what it's, the same exact thing, what it's like in, in, the, in the Hebrew. Meaning that the waters from under the threshold are continually issuing or continually flowing out toward humanity, toward whomever. Ezekiel sees this vision and he sees this, this trickle of water starting. And then he sees this mighty flow, mighty river. Why is it this mighty river now that cannot be forded? Why is it moving so quickly? Because it is moving out to touch whosoever will in this world. The river of God here is a type of the, the blessing, or put it this way, the river of God is the increasing spiritual life of God. What you had when you first became a Christian, you were saved. You didn't have much. God wants more for you. Maybe you're here today, and you, you, you've been in, some of you have been in this church for years. And you're fording the river, and it's coming up to your ankles, and no further. I'm telling you today, God wants you to move deeper into him. God has more for your life than you have today. Maybe some of you are in the water, the spiritual life of God to your needs. And you're happy there. You're content. You sit here. Oh, that feels good. You sit here and, you know, you hear these different things. And, and, you know, maybe you're content where you are. But I'm telling you today that God wants you to move deeper in him. Maybe you're at the waist. I'm telling you today that there are waters to swim in. The Lord desires for us, all of us, that we would move out from where we are and that we would desire him, that we would be able to go with him in, in whatever that is for you personally. 
so that he can start to take you spiritually to a deeper place in him. Nobody can make you desire more of God. No one can grab you and pull you into another area and say, taste and see that the Lord is good. You have to taste and see that the Lord is good in your life. What's the rest of that verse? Blessed is the man that trusteth in me. Well, I'm comfortable here with water up to my knees. I'm not going to the mission field. Or I'm not going to go street of, to a street evangelism. I'd die. I don't know what to say. Stay in the, in the water to your ankles. Oh, well, the Lord would never use me. I don't believe it's the will of God for me to. We have all these excuses. I can't tell you how many things in my Christian walk I have done and not wanted to do. Now, not everything. I mean, sometimes it's a joy. It's always a joy, but I'm saying there are things that God will require. Do you like teaching, brother? You don't enjoy teaching. Why not? (laughs) It doesn't matter. Now Now that you said that, you're a candidate. Well, do you want to stay in the shallows? Or do you want to move to a deeper place with God? Do you want to just play church? You know, or do you want to move deeper in God? Do you want it to be tradition every week? Or do you want to move deeper in God? See, the choices are all ours. Praying isn't going to do it. You have to decide, Lord, I want more of you. I'm going to open the altars today. And I pray that you come forward, not to me, but that you make a decision today in your heart that, Lord, I want more of you and I want to move into a deeper place than I am today. And I believe God will answer that prayer. Not only that, you will experience certain things. You'll say, what is going on? Well, God's going to start to move you deeper if you so desire that. In the book of Acts, it says that they had all things in common. The church in Acts, some of them sold everything they had, gave it to the apostles so that they could reach the people with the gospel. They dedicated their lives. You know, If we want other people to come to the Lord, if we want other people to experience more in God than, you know, just even initial salvation. I mean, you look at some of the churches, you look at some of the preachers that are out there, and and I believe they have very little of God. They're, they're, They're not moving in the depths of God. The Lord wants a heart like Psalm 42.1 where the psalmist says, as the deer pants for the water. Have you ever seen a deer in the woods? 
after it had been running for a while, its tongue's hanging out the side of its mouth, out of breath, it wants a drink. As the deer panteth for the water, so pants my soul after you. Do you have a desire for God? Does your soul pant after him? Lord, I want more of you. I want to move deeper in you. One of the things that whenever I was a young Christian that the Lord did for me early on was he gave me this desire for him. And that desire, I believe, is there for for every person initially when they come to Christ. It's put there. Then we can either feed that or not feed that. If we feed that hunger, then it will grow and it it will be constant. It will be maintained in our life. But if we don't feed it, and we feed upon a lot of other things, a lot of the garbage of the world, like the prodigal son did, then that hunger wanes. But God wants us to have that desire for him. I'm going to open the altars for you. If you just want to come and and seek the Lord for a while. Jesus has come. Rivers of living water.